Well, how you doing? Good. You know, I'm glad that you guys are all here, but I want to go ahead and why don't you turn around and I want you to wave at the camera. You know, each week we have people that join us from all over the world and I get emails all the time from Kenya, Nigeria, Pakistan, India, all around the world of people that are joining us each week, listening to us, and I get all kinds of emails. It's actually crazy. You're like, wow, I maybe should be careful about what I say because people from everywhere are watching this. And so we just want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in with us this week. And uh, if you're watching us, continue. Send us messages. I love getting them, letting them know that you're, uh, you're listening. And I want to welcome you guys here as well because I honor that you have made the trip and you are sitting in the seats in front of us. And we've been on a series now for a few weeks on faith, and I, I think we're going to continue going on there because I, I had a great message that I was going to preach this weekend, and then as I got in here to do my slides yesterday, it was like the Holy Spirit downloaded a different message, and I'm like, great, so now I've got one more to shove into the series that I've already got going. And I just felt last week, we were, it was great, we were with the kids and we were talking about the story of Peter and Jesus walking on the water. And we were just talking about the steps of faith that Peter took and how he had to trust in God. And we were reading it out of uh, Matthew chapter 14 is the one that we were doing. But it's found actually three times in the Gospels. Matthew's the first one. It's also in the book of Mark and it's in the book of John. But the one in Matthew is the only one that talks about Peter's side of the story, which I find really interesting. So, of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only two of them, two of them were eyewitness people. Two of them were disciples. That was Matthew and John. Now, Luke, Luke we can basically call a reporter. His, report, his book was written based upon the interviews that he had with the disciples. And the, uh, one of his big ones was, he tells us in the book of Acts, that he took time. And when he went through Jerusalem, he sat down and talked with Mary, the mother of Jesus. So when you get all the genealogies of Jesus and all the stories about the wise men and everything in the book of Luke, that's because Luke went and sat down and said, Mary, what's really important about the story? And so that's what's included in in the book of Luke. And in the book of Mark, if out of any of the books you would see the Peter side of it, you would think that it would be in the book of Mark because Mark writes his accounts based upon his firsthand information from Peter. So it's kind of interesting as I was thinking about the story, this might have been one that Peter was embarrassed about. I was the guy who got out and walked on the water, but then I sunk, and Jesus had to save me. And so it's not in the book of Luke. Now, I can understand why it's not in the book of John, because, you know, Peter and John had a bit of a rivalry going, right? When Jesus was rose from the dead and the, and, uh, the women came and said, Jesus is not in his tomb, Peter and John both took off in a race to see who could get to the tomb first. And we know that John got there first, but Peter had the boldness to actually go in. And when Jesus told Peter, he said, Peter, you know, you know you're not long for this world. You're going to live a few more years, and then they're going to crucify you just like they did me. And Peter says, great, thanks, Jesus, just what I want to know. What about John? How is John going to die? And Jesus said, you know, it's not, it's not for you to know. If I want him to stay forever, that's up to me. Just worry about you. So there's a little bit of a rivalry going on between Peter. Peter and John, so I can understand why John would be like, yeah, I'm not telling everybody that Peter got out of the boat, but I didn't. 
So I can understand why it's not in the book of John. But Matthew, Matthew's got nothing to lose. He's got no skin in the game. He was just there. And so we find the, the, the story of Jesus and Peter walking on the water in Matthew. And it's so important to know that Peter did too. Because if it was just Jesus... You would say, oh, it's just Jesus. He was the Son of God. He can do whatever, but it wasn't just Jesus. Peter, by faith, was able to step out and do something miraculous that no one else had ever done up until that point. So it's an important story. Now, this story takes place right after the feeding of the 5,000. And if you're going through the miracles of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000 is like one of those spectacular ones. And I kind of think that Matthew was thinking, oh, you think, you think feeding the 5,000 was great? Just wait until you see what happens next. And so it starts with the feeding of the 5,000. They multiply the, the loaves and the fishes. Everyone's fed. And that's where the story picks up here in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And it says, immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into a boat to go before him to the other side. The other side of what? The Sea of Galilee. They're right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee when Jesus is, is preaching to these multitudes. And then he looks and says, hey guys, we're out in the middle of nowhere. Where are they going to get food? Let's feed him. And so they, the sea that they're right beside is the Sea of Galilee. Now it's important to note that where they were, if they were in the north, it's about 20 miles to the south of the sea. If they're in the middle, which is where they were, it's 11 kilometers across. So it's a fair-sized body of water, but still, it's not like it's going to take them hours and hours and hours and hours to get across to the other side. Now, I was doing a little research this week, and they, they actually, because you think when, when they're talking about the boat that they were in, you know, most people think it's like a little raft. You know, maybe they got one guy rowing and 12 guys crammed in. But it's actually the fishing trawlers that were on the Sea of Galilee in the first century were actually quite large. They averaged to be about 27 feet long and about 8 feet wide. And so it was actually a fair boat with a good sail and a good mast that, that they were getting into to go to the other side. So, and being fishermen, that's what they would be in. And that's most of the disciples were seasoned fishermen. They've lived their life on the water. It's what they've done. They, they know this sea inside and out. They know when to go and when not to go. And so we understand that this storm must have come up out of nowhere because the disciples would have been like, uh, Jesus is not a good time for us to cross. So just giving you a little context about what's going on in the story. And so immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while well, he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. So it's important to note that evening came when Jesus was on the mountain. Which means they got in the boat before evening. Most likely, five or six o'clock in the evening. Because for them, evening would have been when the sun goes down. If this is a summertime story, which it is, means eight or nine o'clock is when the sun goes down. That would be evening. So they got in the boat about five or six o'clock. Verse 24. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea. Okay, so where's the middle of the sea? 11 kilometers wide. They're like five and a half kilometers in in the middle and it was tossed by the waves and the wind was contrary now in the fourth watch of the night which is 3 a.m 
This is how long they've been doing circles in the middle of the sea. Five o'clock to three o'clock in the morning. That's a long time to be being tossed back and forth in the wind. These are seasoned fishermen. But you got to know, after eight to nine hours of being waterlogged, bailing your boat, thinking this is not good, you got to think that their hearts are starting to sink and this is, this is not a good situation. So as the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the sea. So Jesus is going for a decent stroll. Right? We're talking five and a half kilometers. They're in the middle of the sea. So Jesus was not just going to be like, okay, I'm going to walk on the water, but I'm just going to do just a little dip here in case I go under. No, he's going for, I'm crossing this thing on my own. Now, it's important to note, where did Jesus just come from? On the mountain by himself doing what? Praying. Praying. You know, it's amazing the things that you can do when you actually take time to charge yourself up in the power of God. And you will find this with Jesus. All of his major miracles happened after he was alone with God. You know, I, I know from my personal life that when I spend more time to pray, things happen in my life. I, my, one of my mentors, Brother Hagen, said that all of the greatest things that happened throughout his 50-year ministry, 60 years of ministry, was after extended times of prayer. Why? Because when you get with God, God things rub off on you. So he comes taking a stroll, five and a half kilometers out into the middle of the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. Everybody say, fear. Now, I can't really blame them. Nine hours in the sea. You're wet, you're cold, you're tired, and you just want it to be over. And you're starting to think, I'm never reaching the shore. This is not happening. I've been a fisherman all my life, and this is the day I am going to die. You know that those are the thoughts that are starting to go through their heads. They know what happens in these types of storms. They've lived them their life. And so they cried out for fear. It's a ghost. You also know that fishermen are some very superstitious bunch. They're probably thinking, here's the grave opening up and here's some ghost is walking along coming to escort me into the afterlife. So that gives you a picture as to what the disciples were actually going through. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible, we read it so uh, plain. They were in a boat and then there was a storm and Jesus walked on the water and he came out and they said, ah, it's a ghost. These are things that these people actually went through. Matthew, the writer of this, was in the boat. If anyone knows what's going on in the story, it's the guy who lived it. And so they cried out for fear. Now it's important, this series is on faith. And fear is not the absence of faith. Some people say that fear is the opposite of faith, but it's not. Some people like to have all kinds of fancy sayings about fear, but really, what fear does, it signals the presence of a competing belief. What was the belief they had when they got in the boat? We are going to the other side. Jesus said, go ahead, I'll meet you there. So, based upon their information, their beliefs entering the boat was that they would be hitting the other side. 
So what does the presence of fear indicate? That they now have a competing belief that I'm not reaching the other side. I'm going to die here in this boat. You know, maybe you've been through things in your life where you started out strong and, yeah, this is, we're going to do this. And then you get in the middle of it and you start to question whether, can I really do this? Am I going to make it through? Am I going under? The disciples can relate. They were there. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. So this morning, I want to preach a message to you called Finding Faith When Fear Tries to Drown You. It's interesting to point out that Jesus' very first act upon getting on the scene was he fixed their focus. Their focus was, we're going to die. We're going under. We are afraid. And Jesus' first words were, it's okay. It's me. You don't need to fear anymore. Your focus will expose your expectations. Their focus was on their fear, and their expectation was that they were going to die. And their expectations exposed their belief, which is that's, where they were, that's what they saw in their future. But we know that Jesus told his disciples this. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. But I, I want to point out to you that it says, all things. And so how many times have we walked through things in our lives that our negative beliefs have created for us? We like to focus on the positive side of things in this, and we should. All things are possible to him who believes. If you can take the blessings of God and say, Father, I take you at your word. I am just as blessed as you said I am. I am just as healed as you said I am. I am just as stable and have such a great future as you have said about me. And you can say, I believe those things, Father, and they will come to pass in your life. But you can know that you can let fear take over and let it drive you to your next destination. Because the things you believe come to pass in your life, whether they're the great things we want to shout about or whether the things that we sit in our room and cry about. What you believe comes to pass in your God, in your life. So it's important why when Jesus was about to tell his disciples that your faith can move mountains, what did he first tell them? Have faith in God. He gave them their focus. I love Psalm 121. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And whenever I find myself getting into a part where I'm like, oh, what are we going to do? I'm not really sure. I remember this verse because it reminds me, oh, wait, I know where my focus should be. My focus shouldn't be on the situation and how dire it is or how bad things are getting. My focus should be on God because that's where my help comes from. When Paul was teaching the Colossians, in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, If you then were raised with Christ, how many have been raised with Christ? That's what Paul said we've been. He said, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. What is he saying? Have your focus. Now, Matthew 14 is where we find the story of Jesus and Peter walking on the water. 
But you know, just a few chapters before that, Jesus was teaching his disciples about some of these things. And this is what he said in chapter 6, verse 22. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Now the word they use for lamp means candle. What do you do with a candle? When you come into a dark place, you light it up. So the word for eye there is actually the word for focus. So what you focus on will illuminate. And so he goes on and says, if therefore your focus is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your focus is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And so Jesus is trying to tell them that if you're wanting to get out of a situation, don't focus on the situation, focus on the one who delivers. And he goes on in the next verse and says, no one can serve two masters. For he will either hate one and love the other, or else, uh, um, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. What he's trying to tell them is you can only move in one direction at a time. If you're believing God to deliver you, keep that as your focus. And when fear tries to come into your life and into the situation and say, you're not going to make it, you're going to die in the storm, look at the wind, look at the waves, you say, that's okay, I don't need to look at the wind, I don't need to look at the waves, I'm just going to look at Jesus because he's the one who delivers. You can only move in one direction at a time. And so if the storm is talking loud, maybe we pull a Jesus and say, peace be still one direction at a time let's think about this for a second you want to lose weight and you want to be fit the obvious way to go about that is to sit on your couch and eat junk food every night no no do i got that backwards right you can only move in one direction at a time you can't meet your goal of losing weight and being fit while still satisfying the cravings of your flesh right? You want to increase financially, but yet you want to load up every credit card you have and take out every loan you can, right? No, that's bleeding. If you want to increase financially, there needs to be a stand where you say, okay, God, you supply, I'm going to stop trying to be the source. Garnet, if you want to plant a field of corn, you obviously go out and put wheat seed in the ground, right? No. Because you can only move in one direction at a time. So if you have something you're wanting to see in your life that you found in the Word, that the Word of God says about you, is going to require a little bit of focus and a little bit of unfocusing on things. If you want your faith to flourish in the promises of God, you've got to fix your focus. So Jesus' first act was to fix their focus I'm on the scene, guys. Look to me. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now before we look more into what Peter just said, I want to direct your attention back to the verses we've been using as the anchor of this series, and that is 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, which says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Right? This is the one we've said it every week. He says, And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know the petitions that we have, we have the petitions we have asked of Him. So, what was Peter asking when he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come? Here in verse 14, 
we'll put a little more emphasis on it, that if you ask anything according to his will, Peter saw Jesus walking and said, that looks pretty awesome. Jesus, can I do that? He was looking for what is God's will in this situation. But do you know that in your life there's certain things that you don't need to find God's will at, that his will is already clearly laid out in his word? And that's, if you have a need, he supplies it. You don't have to look for God's will in that. He says, my God supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He does not say if it's the right day, if he's in the right mood, or if he just feels to be willing. Another thing you don't have to seek the will of God in is healing. He says, by his stripes, you were healed, not going to be. He's already settled it. Everyone who came to Jesus in his ministry of three and a half years and asked the question, Lord, are you willing? Do you know what his answer was? Yes. yes. Never once did he say, no, I'm not willing today. Not the right time, guys. I've got some other things going on. You know, I'm on my way to Jairus' house. I'm sorry, woman with the issue of blood. I've already got a meeting. I just, I can't. I can't do it right now. No, wherever Jesus went and whatever he was doing, he would always have miracles on the way to the miracle. So it's not a question of if he's willing in those certain things. You know, there are things that you seek the will of God, and God, is this, is this the job you're wanting me to take? Is this the relationship that I should be in? Are, are these areas that I should be launching out into? Those are things you seek the will of God on. There are certain things that the Word has already settled the will of God on, though. So Peter's question to Jesus was, what's your will in this situation, God? Because I really would love to walk on this water. And we told you, faith begins where the will of God is known. Your faith will never flourish beyond your knowledge and trust of the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's exactly what happens when we input the Word, faith rises up. It's already in you. He says that he's given unto every man the measure of faith. You've got faith in you. How do you activate it? You input the word. Because the faith that God gave you is the same faith that he has. And it believes fully in the word of God. What the word of God says you can do, you can do it. And when you input it, faith arises. So if faith is going down and fear is coming up, there's a focus issue because when we go back to the word, faith comes up, fear goes down. I love this verse. The entrance of your word gives light and it gives understanding to the simple. And the word that they use there is the open-minded. You know, I've met a lot of people who aren't very open-minded when it comes to their word. You know, i I was talking to a lady probably about 10, 10 or 12 years ago now, and she was like, oh, whenever I open the Word, it's just like, I don't understand it. It's just like, I might as well just be wasting my time. It's such a, it's like, who knows what this is talking about? And my thought was, you're not even open to understand what it is. People who open their hearts, they find. Because that's what Jesus said, seek and you find. So if you find that when you open the word that it's not coming alive to you, 
change your thinking about it and say, God, I'm so glad your word is alive. And right now, as I sit down before you, I understand. I receive. And you'll find that your times of reading will come, become much different. Now, I think it also a lot has to do with where people read. Let me just say this. The whole Bible is for you, but not all of it is important for you all the time. If you want to know where to focus, focus on the New Testament. In particular, if you're a Christian, which everybody here should be, read the epistles. Read Romans and Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians because those were written to the Christians. The Gospels are great. They're stories filled with action-packed faith. But you don't need to be reading the law every day. It's good to know what you've been redeemed from, but that's not you, right? You don't need to focus on that. Yeah, read through it like once a year or whatever, but focus on what's applicable to you. And I think that's why people get frustrated whenever we tell people, hey, here's a Bible, let's read it. They start in Genesis, and Genesis is pretty good, lots of great stories, and then they get to Exodus, and they're like, oh. and then they, they get Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and it's like, and then they usually stop. You focus on what's important. I had not planned on talking about this, but maybe somebody needs to hear this. What, read the parts that were written to you. Hallelujah. <laughs> so he gives entrance of his word, gives light, and it gives understanding to the open-minded. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is alive and it is powerful. It's sharper than any, the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between the soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your spirit. That's the real you, the part that's been regenerated, that has been remade in the likeness of God, that's one with God. And it cuts between the joints and the marrows, and listen to this last verse, it says, it exposes our innermost thoughts and our desires. Now, when we input the word of God, it cuts through all of the, well, this is what I believe, and it shows you what you really do believe. And then you're fo forced with the choice to say, okay, God, this belief does not line up with your word. I now have to either let it go or live in unbelief. So it will always expose what you truly believe. So Peter was seeking the will of God. And so Peter called to him. He says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come. Oh, you got to know that they just made Peter's day. Jesus is walking on the water and so am I. You find your anchor. And the word of God will always be your anchor. You, faith begins where the will of God is known. If you are in need of things in your life that the word of God says have been given to you, you take where it tells you that they are yours and you make it your focus. You make it your anchor. Now you would think in this story you don't really want an anchor because anchors sink in the water. But the anchor of God will always hold you through the storm. So he says, yes, come. So... Peter goes over the side of the boat <laughs> and he walked on the water toward Jesus. How you respond to the word of God exposes your level of faith and trust in God. If the word said it, go ahead and walk it. Say it again. If the word said it, go ahead and walk it. All Peter needed was, yes, come, which was he understood Jesus said, it's his will that I can walk on the water there. So he get in it. Faith, we told you, the, cult, the kids last week, isn't knowing all or seeing all. It's trusting the one who does. 
And Desiree did such a great job last week because most people, when you blindfold them, would be like, but she trusted me. And she just walked, followed my instructions. She found the treats in the cabinet. She came back down the stairs. She was able to have a seat right in there because she just listened to my voice and she responded to it. When you understand what the will of God is for you, just go ahead and respond. We walk by faith and not by sight. You got to think, Peter, experienced fisherman, grew up. What is one thing Peter knows without a doubt? People don't walk on water. Boats float on water, which is why we are in a boat. Peter was able to let go of a lifetime of beliefs in a moment. I think sometimes we make mountains out of things that don't need to be mountains. Just because it's been like that all the way your life up until this point doesn't mean it needs to continue, right? He let go a lifetime of beliefs in a moment, and he walked on the water. So Peter went over the side of the boat, walked on the water towards Jesus. Let's review where we've at so far. You fix your focus when fear tries to arise. You go back to Jesus. You find your anchor in the Word of God, and then you step out and you respond. Oh, that's a great message. Oh, I love it. But you know, the story didn't end there. But, big old but, when he saw, his focus shifted. That wind, it was boisterous, and he was afraid, fear came back in. You notice that? When his focus changed, so did his results. He began to sink. You know, I don't know how many times that I've had it in my life where I've started off in a faith project all built up. Yeah, great! And I see some great results. And then my focus shifts and things begin to go down. And you go, oh God, why? It was so good back then. Why is it now like that? Well, this is why. You fix your focus. When the focus changed, so did the results. And beginning to sink, that's a miracle in itself because I have never stepped off of a dock and began to sink. I've only ever sunk. So as his focus is shifting, now we've got to understand that the wind didn't change during this whole scenario, right? They were in the boat about to die. Jesus comes a-walking. Peter gets out of walking, and the whole time the wind was still going. It didn't change. But Peter's focus did. He walks, and then he sees the wind. And he begins to sink. And as he's going down, we don't know how fast it was, but any, any type of fastness beyond bloop is a miracle. And he says, Lord, save me. What happened? Focus switches back. And what happens next? And immediately. Say immediately. immediately. Whenever your focus switches to God, He's right there. But you know, He can't help you in your unbelief. You notice Jesus wasn't immediately there when He was looking at the waves and the wind. But as soon as His focus switched to Jesus, there Jesus was. And he stretched out his hand, and he caught him, and he said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And we often say, oh, Peter, he just didn't have much faith. The 11 didn't get out of the boat. Peter got out of the boat. I think his little faith was better than their none. And it's not that they had no faith. They used no faith. And it's not that Peter had just, just only enough to walk a few steps. No, it's when his faith shifted to a different place. And we told you last week that the word they use is illegal pistos. So why did you trust so little? Meaning, sometimes we'll have moments of trust. Here, little here, little there. But you know, it doesn't have to be like the roller coaster. Jesus said to Peter, why don't you have your trust constant? All Peter really needed to do when he sees the waves and the wind hitting them, blowing up in his face, he's getting splashed. All Peter really needed to do was go, I'm standing on the water. I've taken steps away from the boat. Look how far I've come. Jesus, I've made it this far. I'm going to make it to the end. And sometimes when things pop up while we're standing in faith, we think, oh God, why is this happening? And all we have to do is say, look how far I've come. Devil, you can't steal my victory now. So Jesus pulls him up and they walk back to the boat together. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Done. Jesus brought it to the end. When the focus was fixed, he went back to walking. So we said, fix your focus. We said, find your anchor. Where is it in the word of God? Keep it before you. Step out and respond to the word of God. And number four would be refocus as necessary. If you have to do it 20 times a day, it was 20 times it was worth it. And what do you refocus back? You focus back to Jesus and you were focused to your anchor. Jesus said this, or the bride of Hebrews said it about Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author, and everybody say, and. And the finisher. You may have started out in faith. God's wanting you to continue and finish in faith while looking unto Jesus. Because when that's your focus, there's nothing you cannot do. And then John puts something interesting about the end of this story. He says, Then they were eager to let them in the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. Where were they? Five and a half miles into the middle of the lake. And in an instant of letting Jesus into the situation, at the shore. How many things that you're going through or have been going through in the past could be over in an instant? when you let Jesus into the situation. Fear may come up, but when the focus is Jesus, it goes. Amen? Why don't you all stand up with me this morning? Let's lift up our hands. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us, the great gift you've done for us, but right now we set our attention to you and our focus to you. We ask that you show us where we should be putting our focus and what should be our anchor as we're going through this situation. We know you said that you always provide for us. You always heal for us. You always come through us and that whatever we ask according to your will, we receive and we get. 
And so, Jesus, we put our focus on you. And we thank you that you always come through. Now, maybe you're here in this place this morning and you haven't made a step to make Jesus be your Lord. Don't let it be another day. Fix your focus. Maybe you're watching us on the internet right now and you haven't made Jesus your Lord. Right now is the time to fix your focus. And so what we do here is we all pray together and just pray along with us. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Right now we open our hearts and we receive him as our Lord. We receive him as our provider. We receive him as our healer. We receive him as our everything. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with an open heart for the first time, you've just become a child of God. If you've been watching on the internet, go ahead and contact us. We'd love to get you hooked up with a good church in your area. And if you're in this area, we've got a good one here waiting for you. You know, guys, it's been great preaching to you this morning. I just really, mm, this word really hit me. I hope it blessed you as well. So, Father, we thank you for it. We bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are great. Have a wonderful week. Let's have some coffee and fellowship.